Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Joining you tonight, it's Ian and Chris. The Federal Reserve and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency and the FDIC have issued a joint statement this week uh, talking about or warning about quote-unquote significant risks that crypto assets may pose to the broader banking system. I'm not sure exactly how it is that crypto is going to be a threat to the banking system beyond the fact that it's just a better alternative and it could outcompete <laughs> uh, the banking system. But I don't know if that's what they're going to get into here. Uh, according to the agencies in a joint statement, quote, it is important that risks related to the crypto asset sector that cannot be mitigated or controlled do not migrate to the banking system, statement said. Further, quote, given the significant risks highlighted by recent failures of several large crypto asset companies, the agencies continue to take a careful and cautious approach related to current or proposed crypto asset related activities and exposures at each banking regulation or banking organization, unquote. Regulators are warning banks about a long laundry list of risks when it comes to crypto, including fraud, volatility, poor risk management, and contagion within the crypto sector. The agencies also flagged legal uncertainties when it comes to redemptions, ownership rights, and custody practices for crypto assets. Tuesday's statement came just minutes before Sam Bankman-Fried, co-founder and former CEO of FTX Exchange, pleaded not guilty on eight counts of wire fraud, securities fraud, and conspiracy. He's facing up to 115 years in prison for his alleged role in the highest-profile crypto collapse to date. Uh, while regulators are still studying whether or how banks could incorporate crypto into their operations in a safe way that protects consumers, the trifecta of regulators say issuing or holding crypto that's issued, stored, or transferred on an open, public, or decentralized network is, quote, inconsistent, unquote, with safe and sound banking practices. So they're not coming right out and saying, thou shalt not do this, or that it's illegal for banks to get into cryptocurrency, but they're basically coming, you know, they're they're skirting the line of saying, if you do this, this could be trouble. We won't look kindly on you banks who might be open-minded enough to actually consider allowing your customers to invest in cryptocurrency. I, I, I'm still failing to understand what they're suggesting is the safety aspect of it, right? Well, Just, there's risk involved. What, what's the risk? Oh, price could go down. This dollar goes down every day. I well, mean, yes, of course, but it's <laughs> planned to go down. We, You can expect the dollar to go down, so you know what you're getting into. Hmm. Of course, there's also the risk of stocks as well, which could certainly go down in value, but somehow government safe. There's somebody on Twitter who represents herself as a victim of sex trafficking and she's like speaking out and, you know, that kind of thing. And on its face, it sounds fine. But then I saw this other post. I don't remember if it was from her. I think it might have been, and it essentially was like widening the definition of sex trafficking, yeah. like you were talking about. Because mm-hmm. when you think about sex trafficking, or at least when I think about it, I think someone is a sex slave. Someone is being held against their will. They're, for instance, having their family threatened, because that's in a lot of cases when somebody uh, you know, is either kidnapped to be forced into sex slavery. They're told things like, well, look, if you try to run... We're just going to go ahead and kill your parents, right? Like, that's the kind of thing. Right. That, that's why they stay in the hotel room or whatever instead of just trying to make a make a run for it. Yeah, that's right? not what they mean by sex trafficking these days. Not these days. <laughs> no, they nope. basically were saying that anyone who's, like, manipulated in some way, like if uh, somebody hires you to do a thing and they didn't quite tell and, you everything that— And manipulation includes being paid. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so anybody who's ever worked in the sex industry is uh, has been trafficked, basically, is what they would say. 
it's, these it's, people would say that it's yeah. that crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's it's obviously you know, <laughs> and so the banks don't want to be associated with quote unquote sex trafficking, even if it's they can't legal. afford to be. If yeah. the government's telling them you know we're going to yeah. take you know take your license away and then they can't operate and yeah it's, right. And so now you have this letter from the FDIC from the Office of Comptroller of the Currency and the Federal Reserve. These are the three top banking regulatory agencies. That is almost essentially telling banks that, hey, we don't think you should do this. We don't think those of you, you few banks, and there's only a few of them, who are open-minded enough to actually accept accounts from cryptocurrency-related businesses to potentially even allow their own customers to hold or to purchase cryptocurrencies through their banking system – they are being told that uh, 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 uh. What, what I'm curious about is who do you think this is targeting? Because I can't imagine. I mean, banks are already so hand, like they won't do business with you if you use cryptocurrency. Like, so who are uh, these? there are a few that are friendly. Are they targeting? Because it doesn't it seems to me like they're targeting cryptocurrency exchanges and similar uh, well, I think what similar, they want to do because, is dry up the options for the crypto exchanges. Now, there's a right. bank called uh, there's a bank called Silvergate Bank. It's based out of California. They are kind of known as the crypto exchange bank, meaning that this is, an, a, this is a bank that will actually open accounts for cryptocurrency exchanges, and they make you do all kinds of hoop jumping, of course, right? Because they're not just going to allow anybody to open an account. They're going to do their due diligence and verify you got all the government paperwork and et cetera. They were involved with the FTX exchange and... Ooh. I don't know. I've I've seen some of the headlines. I've not dug deeply into the stories. It looks like it did not go well for them in that particular <laughs> case. So that could be part of the uh, the uh, why this these regulatory agencies are kind of c- coming in heavier than ever on this. Uh, I don't think they've gone out of business or anything like that, but they may have lost some uh, some money on that deal because they had some sort of involvement with with FTX. Right now, you got the OCC, according to the story here at uh, Yahoo Finance, the OCC, the Office of Comptroller of the Currency, this is a, a top banking regulator, they put in place rules where banks must now ask permission to be able to engage in any cryptocurrency activities. The acting comptroller of the currency, Michael Sue, has compared crypto to derivatives in the early 2000s, warning about the risk of contagion with crypto and saying the industry's growth has been driven by hype. Now, maybe that's true to some extent. There has been a lot of hype in the last several years around cryptocurrency. There's been a lot of growth simply surrounding the idea of number go up. Hey, yeah. investment, best investment of the last decade. Don't miss out. Uh, you know that kind of thing, right? So people are definitely there were a lot of people jumping in for FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. Uh, so there's no doubt that that did drive a lot of crypto sales. That's probably what was behind the big crypto spike in 2017 and the big crypto spike yeah. in in 2021. Dot com bubble all over again. Yeah, but the reality is, those of us that know a thing or two about cryptocurrency know that underneath that hype, there really is technology worthy of being excited about. Oh, absolutely. Now, whether that's what people were being excited about as opposed to number go up, that's up to the individual, you know, as to why they want to invest or purchase I, something. Yeah, I, I always was always amazed, you know, people like buy into it just so for the sake of holding it, I, I've always been like, if I'm going to invest in something like I would want to invest in something surrounding it, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe getting it out there, you a know, concept, yeah. something that's a, important vending machines, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, uh, merchant tools to enable businesses to accept it or, you know, something, something that like, because just holding it doesn't get it used. And what's the value of the, the value is it in its ability to reduce the cost. At, at least one of the things that I think that has value in it is the ability to reduce the cost of conducting transactions. Yes. Um, as you were saying earlier, you know, every time you and swipe time. A, a card, it's yeah. you're paying three percent. You know, mm-hmm. your your prices are going up by three percent or more. Um, it, you know, I I see occasionally six uh, percent actually um, for for those those charges. Discover um, can be that high it, for it sure. It can be. It depends on the type of card somebody mm-hmm. has. It depends on if it's a U.S. card or an international or a card outside the United States. Um, there's a bunch of different factors that go into it, and yep. then and then double that because you know. 
you got to buy you have, you as a merchant have to buy products too and from what your if they're using a card to do that in many cases yeah you have no other choice than other than to use a credit card right. so you're yeah i mean it's it's amazing how much the banks and financial institutions you know basically uh uh cause prices to go up like like fairly substantially yeah. in some cases no wonder they are you know so desperate to stop cryptocurrency oh yeah, yeah. but you know credit to the handful of banks out there that are open-minded enough and forward-thinking enough to say, hmm, this doesn't look good for us in the, in the future. <laughs> Maybe we should embrace this new competition rather than trying to shut them out, rather than trying to pretend they don't exist or act like you know it's dangerous. And of course, that's what this whole point of this article is here, is to have these government agencies saying, ooh, it's, it's scary. Cryptocurrency is dangerous. It's risky. It seems like lines are being drawn sort of lines in the sand uh, by the federal government saying we would advise you not cross that line is this yeah. uh is this an actual letter that was sent to the banks or how how did they uh apparently let me see if i can how did this get like the exact definition of what this thing was here the report is from yahoo finance and it is a statement so they issued a joint statement. statement so maybe like a letter to the banks or something like that uh it is apparently a two three page long joint statement on crypto asset risks to banking organizations so i don't know if that gets sent to all of the banks by default or yeah, it's, it's not just as, they're it's expected to know about it it's definitely not as clear as some of the things that have been reported on in the past as to certain industries that you know the government has said you better not do business with these people. I actually did just pull up the actual letter here, and you know we were just reading the report on mm-hmm. it, but I just happened to spot this. It says, banking organizations are neither prohibited nor discouraged from providing banking services to customers of any specific class or type as permitted by law or regulation. The agencies are continuing to assess whether or how current and proposed Crypto asset related activities by banking organizations can be conducted in a manner that adequately addresses safety and soundness, consumer protection, legal permissibility, and compliance with applicable laws and regulations, including anti money laundering and illicit finance statutes and rules. Based on the agency's current understanding and experience to date, the agencies believe that issuing or holding as principal crypto assets that are issued, stored, or transferred on an open public or decentralized network or similar system is highly likely to be inconsistent with safe and sound banking practices. So in the same paragraph, they're saying, look, we're not telling you you can't do this. I mean, if it's legal, then you can do it, but it may be considered you know to be inconsistent with safe and sound banking practices. You know what it sounds like they're, they're saying is, effectively, this may be legal, but... But we'll suspend your licenses if you go down this path because it violate it it it. They didn't outright say it mm-hmm. violates like their licensure, but they're coming right up to the line. Right, they're coming right up yep. to that line and saying it without saying it. And this is exactly the same thing that they've done in the past. You know, with other industries that the government they're completely legal industries, but the government doesn't want banks or financial institutions to do business with you, and therefore. Right. They say they did the exact same thing. Uh, Further, the agencies have significant safety and soundness concerns with business models that are concentrated in crypto asset related activities or have concentrated exposures. So there's to the crypto asset sector. So they're just saying they're concerned. They're they're worried for their banking friends that they may get into hot water with these regulators. Now, they're not saying they're turning the temperature up quite yet. But the water could be getting hot for you if you decide to get involved with these crypto-related activities. We would just like to let you know that we're monitoring the situation closely. And it's like, you know, these, banker, these bankers aren't known for taking risks with their <laughs> business, right? They're not going to risk regulatory uh, attack. They're not going to risk pissing off the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency or the Federal Reserve or the FDIC, because if they piss those people off, they're out of business. You know, you've been able to order things like gold and silver products from Bullion Max and companies like it for, for decades. But what they were doing with the Liberty dollar back in the aughts, so the last you know two decades ago at this point, uh, was they were creating an alternative currency. They weren't just selling silver rounds. They were selling these beautiful... Um, pieces you can't call them coins because that's like a legal term but 
they were selling ounces of silver that were intended to be used as a currency. They weren't just intended to sit in a safe until the S hits the fan and then maybe you'll need them someday kind of thing. The intention was to exchange them with people for products and services. That was the idea behind the Liberty Dollar. And for years, they were the number one alternative currency. This is, again, prior to crypto. So from basically, I think, 1998 on through about 2007... They issued millions of dollars worth of the the Liberty Dollar. I was involved with them back 20 years ago as one of their uh, what they called Liberty Associates, where I would get sort of the wholesale rate and then try to get them out in, into the community. I wasn't particularly successful at it, but <laughs> they were really beautiful uh, pieces and just uh, the people that understood and appreciated silver were big fans of them. And the federal government was not a big fan because they came in. Uh, they went to the uh, they went to the vault. They went to the uh, the mint where the Liberty Dollar was produced. I believe it was called Sunshine Mint in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And they came there with however many goons that they had. Uh, they came in. They were allowed in to the you know the Sunshine Mint. There's armed guards at the front, of course, but they're not going to stop the government uh, from coming in. And they took all of the Liberty Dollar silver that was in that vault. So in addition to making actual physical rounds that they were distributing they also made warehouse receipts so they had these certificates basically that were good supposedly were good for one ounce of silver that was being stored in the uh the warehouse well until the feds took it all (laughs) and years later they ended up having to give it back uh after a court case there was like a lawsuit or something like that but not everybody got it back. I didn't get mine back just because I didn't want to join the lawsuit. I was just like, you know what? I don't want to put my name on a list or whatever, even though my name was probably already on a list. Uh, but so, that's, yeah. That's funny coming from you. Yeah, I didn't, get, I didn't get mine back. But they did have to give them back ultimately. But they destroyed the Liberty Dollar business. They destroyed it as an organization. They went after Bernard Von Nothaus, who was its founder, for quote-unquote uh, counterfeiting charges. And a jury found him guilty. Yeah, that's, those our, our system is so messed up. I mean, it's like it doesn't matter if you're 100% right, you're within the law. Yeah. They just get a jury that's so biased against, you know, right. a defendant and that's it, you know. Um, you At best, at best, even when you're 100% obviously innocent, you have a 50-50 chance. And that's yeah. the best case scenario. You should be 100%, should be 100% no chance that, you know, if you're innocent, there should never be a conviction, but nope, right. that's not how it is. Look in at the, the crypto world. six case; it yep. happened all all over again. I mean, we did legal research to make sure, and so did Bernard von Nothaus from yep. the Liberty Dollar. He figured he had all his T's crossed and all his I's dotted, and he'd been in business for almost a decade yeah. at that point, doing this thing of distributing this alternative currency. And they came in and they destroyed him. And then there was, of course, uh, e gold. If you recall that one, that was. Uh, an online gold currency kind of thing that this is again pre-crypto so it was this it was still a centralized system it wasn't you know like bitcoin where it was decentralized or anything so they went after the e-gold corporation and they they took it down too if people don't want to stop using cash how are they going to stop them right like what well, they could go the India route where they just ban all bills over like a dollar twenty three or something like that. That's one idea. Yeah, well, I mean, we know they've already <laughs> banned the five hundred and the thousand dollar bill. That's oh, yeah. been in in play for decades, right? So, and that was to quote unquote fight drug dealing, right? Back when they did that, yep. and of course, it hasn't stopped drug selling at all, but. It's just made it a little more inconvenient. Now the drug dealer has to carry a whole briefcase of cash instead of, you know, a fifth of a briefcase of cash. It's stupid. Uh, But they're going to do welfare payments. That's an easy way to get people hooked on the the government CBDC money is, all right, well, starting on, you know, January 1st, 2025, all welfare payments are going to be through the CBDC. You're going to need to download the new Federal Reserve wallet, and you've got to, uh, you know you've got until January, and then we're going to cut you off. So go ahead and get signed up as soon as you yeah. can, and we'll get you your welfare payments there. I think you know the even more devious one. I suspect that they may try to play is something to that effect, uh, where that's the default, but with uh, tax refunds, right? That too. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm um, saying. Any money coming out of the federal government. <laughs> 
once once they do this, and they're still not 100% saying they're going to do it. They're just researching and mm. studying and coming up with actual like working programs from MIT and things like that. So like they're they're down this rabbit hole, and the odds that they're going to stop going down it are very very slim. But it still isn't quote unquote a done deal yet. <laughs> but yeah, once it's done. Any kind of payments from the government, like I said, Medicare, welfare, Social Security, tax refund, you name it. You know what they'll do after that is they'll charge you to receive a check in the mail or Mm -hmm. they'll charge you for a traditional wire transfer to your account for your tax refund. That way they can't you can't say, well, you're not, you know, you okay, well, you're cutting me off. And they'll excuse that that charge because it costs them money. Now, in reality, it costs them probably just as much doing it the other way. Mm -hmm. But if you look at something like um, uh, toll roads, right? Right. You know, it used to be you paid the same and then then you got a discount if you had a what they call easy pass on the East Coast. Um uh, but now it's like, okay, well now it's, it, if you look like the, they not only, not only do you not get a, a discount, I put that in quotes here, but they also charge you additionally to mail, a mail a piece of paper to your, to the owners, the car vehicle owner's address. And then you're supposed to pay that on top of like additional fees. You mean if you get caught running the, the toll booth? You're talking about if, Not if you run the toll booth, there is no toll booth. It's called cashless tolling. Right, right, right. But that's just, what you mean is when you go through the Easy Pass without the Easy Pass, and they take your picture and then they right. send you the threatening letter yep. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. You think uh, you know, and and eventually, eventually, they make it so difficult to avoid and so expensive that pretty much everybody gives in. Outside of that, maybe you know, three percent of the population who just has a a you know, they're just so. They're so against it, right? Because they they see right through the lies, right? And they have they have principles outside of those that three percent, mm-hmm. maybe you know, pretty much everybody else gets on board. In the case of the Crypto Six and the fraud charges that didn't end up being brought against me in in trial, they were saying, "Well, you didn't tell the banks the full truth about what you were doing." And it's like Bankman even admitted in a an interview that he did prior to the fall of the FTX exchange. In one of his myriad of you know media appearances, he admitted that it's standard practice within the cryptocurrency industry to not let the banks know what you're doing. <laughs> because people in the crypto world, they understand that banks are afraid of cryptocurrency for whatever the reason is. Usually it's just because they're afraid of being regulated. Some of them may be afraid because they understand the writings on the wall and you know, crypto could end the, uh, the banking oligopoly altogether. Which is, of course, exactly what the federal government wants to try to stop from happening. And so now they are going to, according to this opinion piece at FT or at uh, thehill.com by Kristen Tate, she says that you know, they were already working on this CBDC, the central bank digital currency. But now they're going to use maybe the FTX situation as the excuse to push it through, is the speculation here. So they're saying that the FTX issue, or she says the FTX issue isn't large enough under normal circumstances to push through such dramatic banking and financial changes. But it's clear that those at the Federal Reserve and many in Congress have been salivating for those changes for years. This could be a fig leaf to justify it. The loss of billions of dollars through the collapse of FTX is beginning to echo through the economy. Both private investors and crypto holders lost big in the company's collapse. With nearly 1 million customers, the similarities to previous large-scale collapses are obvious. The criminal charges against Bankman perhaps offer someone on whom to pin responsibility, but not a means to fix the damage. By the way, you can't fix this damage. That money is, it's gone, right? Yeah, you know what's actually funny, though, about this is they add insult to injury because the government is effectively arguing something like it's, it's, it's FTX's. It's not okay. So this is actually a different case I'm thinking of. But in another very similar case, they're arguing it's it's the company's money, not your money. Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Celsius was prior to FTX the other sort of big crypto company failure of the year of 2022. Celsius was one of those. Let's call it a crypto loans outfit or a centralized finance crypto loan outfit, meaning that. They offered people a, uh, a APR, a certain you know five to ten percent, something that's way higher than you would get from a bank, for instance. So sounded too good to be true. Turns out it was too good <laughs> to be true. So Celsius offered this big APR on people that would deposit, say, Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency into their system, 
And then they would loan that crypto out to others who would then, of course, pay you know interest on the loan. And that, in theory, was how they were supposed to be making money. But, of course, there were some shenanigans going on ostensibly behind the scenes. I don't know what all the details were there. But similar to the FTX thing, they weren't doing what they said they were doing. And there was a big crash of uh, cryptocurrency and they were over leveraged or extended and the house of cards came down. Um, and then what you're referring to is in the bankruptcy case in yep. Celsius, because they still have a little bit of money left, yep. just not enough to cover all <laughs> the uh, the assets that their customers gave to them. Uh, the decision that was made this week by the judge in that case was that based on Celsius's terms of service, which the judge says was com- was crystal clear, if you actually read the terms of service, but how many people do this? Mm. If you read the terms of service, it said that when you deposited your Bitcoin and or whatever other cryptocurrencies with Celsius, that they became the property of Celsius. They point out that uh, FTX had a million or nearly a million customers and that uh, the criminal charges are a way to pin responsibility on Bankman, but not a means to fix the damage. The purported remedy instead may be the largest fiscal overhaul since the creation of the Federal Reserve, a switch to a cashless Centrally controlled digital form of currency could be relatively simple. Currently, the Fed and several major banks are running a digital dollar pilot and is being pushed as a good idea by media outlets, including opinion writers in the Wall Street Journal. The Fed is preparing the electronic form of currency in conjunction with similar efforts by other nations. After all, the argument may go if the United States doesn't innovate, China or someone else will. And by the way, China has been... Uh, working on a CBDC for a few couple years now, I think at least. So I don't know if it's I don't know if it's done in China. I have not heard the latest on the CBDC status there, but I, I'm still trying to figure out what the difference is between these other digital currencies governments have and like a, C, uh, a central bank digital currency. Because oh, like I have, can tell you, they have stuff that that sort of seems like it's exactly the same. So my understanding of the difference yeah. is the. Uh, CBDC will be completely run by the Federal Reserve, meaning that... Okay, so there's no intermediary, like a Visa or MasterCard. There's no bank or whatever. It'll be, yeah, there's no Visa or MasterCard. The Federal Reserve is going to have an app, essentially, that individuals will have control. They will have their own accounts directly with the Federal Reserve. If it works out in this way, right? It may not, right? Because they're still planning and plotting, and and the major banks have a say in this. Like, they're going to weigh in, and maybe it will turn out that the banks will be able to deal in the CBDC. So it's not real clear yet, but in theory, the way it could work is that you as a quote-unquote U.S. citizen with a social security number would download the Federal Reserve app and put in all your ID and whatever, and then you have your access uh, to your account balance via the Federal Reserve. Now, you know it's going to suck. You know their app's going to be trash. It's going to be a government you know, app, and government apps and government websites are terrible, so it's going <laughs> to likely be an absolutely awful uh, user experience but that is something that that they want as i understand it that's what they ideally want to be able to do is essentially cut out the banks uh and just deal directly with with individuals i mean that seems like it would be really hard to achieve without paying the banks off in some way um because well, that's the hard part I mean, right you're, because you're gonna the, have i mean the, the banking industry is huge and they're yeah. gonna have they have a lot of money to and they are the federal reserve right <laughs> yeah so like yeah, how are they going to do this? How are they going to get away with that that total sort of total control vision I, for? I wonder if this, this is this is the kind of thing that's designed to fail, like intentionally designed to fail. And and I don't know if it's intentional. Well, I mean, it may fail, but it, right. But uh, hold on a second. Like, I mean, think about this. So they create this digital currency, the central bank digital currency. It's not going to work. They know it's. I, I would think they know it's not going to work because it doesn't have the value that you know cryptocurrencies have. Use that to then ban cryptocurrencies and say, well, now we have our central bank digital currency. And then when it fails, well, it doesn't really matter because, you know, that's what they kind of wanted in the first place because they, they have so much money coming You're through. You're saying the banks want this to fail. You're saying the banks would essentially yeah. program this thing to to bomb. Right. Because mm-hmm. they, they're they going to use this as maybe the excuse to, to ban or, you know, make it basically impossible to use you know, actual cryptocurrency. Well, yeah, they certainly aren't going to allow you to send uh, the Federal Reserve dig- or the uh, central bank digital currency to buy crypto with, right? Like, that'll be on the <laughs> list of no-gos uh, in that case. 
But uh, it still remains to be seen exactly what the interactions with the banks will be with this uh, thing. Because if it's indeed a Federal Reserve totally controlled by the center currency, then banks won't be able to issue loans with it. Right? They won't be able to create the CBDC from, from thin air because they don't have that authorization. So banks still may be able to loan the old form of the dollar – they may not take that away from the banks as a result of this. They may allow the banks to be sort of the portal where somebody can take their cash dollars and turn them into the CBDC, but not reverse. You know what I mean? Like where there's only a one way in mm. and you can't get out kind of uh, Or make si- it uh, situation. Uh, particularly difficult to get out if, you know. Yeah, so, another way to do it. Right, so all that still remains to be seen. And that's why they're trying their digital dollar pilot with some of the major banks out there. Neil is on the line in Arizona. Neil, you're on Free Talk Live listening to K-Talks. Go ahead, sir. Hey, guys. How you doing? First What's of all, shout out to Chuck in Longview, Washington. Uh-huh. I want to talk about the cashless um, uh, currency. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize this until recently. I have a friend that works at, uh, if you're familiar with Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park, California. I've heard of them. Um, you can actually pay with cash to get in the front gate. It's kind of like Disneyland, but mm-hmm. on a much smaller scale. But once you're in the park, cash does you absolutely no good. Hmm. Uh, you can't buy a hot dog, a soda, play the arcade games. You can't do anything with cash in there. It's crazy. Yikes. Yeah, we were just talking it, about it, off air how uh, our, we have a Chipotle in Keene that they also won't take cash. And that may be a corporate decision, too. I think that may be all stores. And and do you think part of this is because the people that they're hiring to run cash registers these days have no idea how to make change? <laughs> it's, no, it, it, mean, it can't be because they it, literally the registers tell you how much change to give people. Yeah, but you still like, have to be able to count. Oh, they haven't, they haven't a, gotten through the I third recently, grade. Right. I recently made a purchase, and it was uh, uh, $11.12. Mm-hmm. And I handed the cashier a $100 bill and $2, and they said, why are you giving me this much? It's so much, uh, way more than you owe me. Yeah. I said, just punch in $102, it'll tell you what to give me back. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just weird, the people they are putting to work these days that have no If that register didn't tell them how much change to give you, they'd be lost. Well, that's been true for probably decades. I mean, people rely on their tools. There's no doubt about that. But it's worse now than it's ever been. And I'll give you an example of this. There's, uh, I wish I could credit the name of the channel. I don't remember offhand. But Bonnie and I found this channel on YouTube where it's this younger guy who goes into malls and on like Times Square and places where there's a lot of people. And he talks with what appear to be mostly uh, Generation Z and the millennial generation, younger younger people. And he yeah. asks some of the most basic questions. Now, obviously, they're going to cut out the people that get the questions right. I mean, that's clear, <laughs> right? But there's a shocking number of people who, when asked questions like, how many dimes are there in a dollar? They do not know the answer. They that's, have that's sad. No idea. Yeah, they have no idea. And I just couldn't. To me, this was just like bewildering until I heard... Uh, Benjamin, who is the Goldback, one of the Goldback guys from Goldback.com, he gave a speech at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, which I watched later on because I wasn't able to attend it in person most of the time last year due to my bail conditions. But he gave an excellent speech about, you know, using real money instead of the government money. And he talked about how the younger generations, they are raised with credit cards. They're raised with debit cards. They're raised with these cashless options and cashless systems to where they don't get you know as you and i might have neil when we were growing up yeah you know 50 cents for uh you know taking out the trash from our parents or you know doing household chores they they don't have dollars they have a debit card that their parents let them have and, and for them they've maybe never even spent dollars they've never received uh dimes as uh, as change they get them hooked young too schools I, I don't know if they're still doing it this way but i know in the uh what was it well, not 90s, maybe, but uh, early 2000s, a lot of schools went to, uh, in order to buy lunch, you couldn't use dollars anymore. You had the to thumbprint. get uh, either, well, yeah, a thumbprint yeah. or a card. It used to be, you know, like basically like a debit card, except it would only yeah. work in the schools. And your parents had to load it. With- yep. And your parents mm-hmm. had to load it. And uh, yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think that's part of the reason here, Neil. I think these these people have literally never had to uh, to change a dollar before. Absolutely. And before you let me go, I would love it if you guys would make a prediction for me. What do you think Sarah will talk about tonight? I mean, it's almost always traffic. Although she's been, you know, a little more. <laughs> She's been bringing a little more variety to the table. We did tell her a few weeks back that she is just not allowed to talk about the same thing over and over again. So, <laughs> so there is that. I don't know. We'll find out. She already called in once, but we didn't get her on right away. So she she'll call back though. Go ahead, Major. Well, I just filed. I filed for Social Security here last spring. Okay. And they demanded that I get a bank account where they could get direct deposit and have my numbers. Right. Well, I have yet to do that. And they keep sending me checks. Ah. And on the back of every envelope, it says, you must obey the command from the dictator. Right? Meaning on the back of the envelope, they're telling you, you better get a bank account? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, you know, you you must comply. Mm-hmm. I, I could go out and get the envelope. I just got one today. It's sitting on the dashboard of my truck. I could read it for you, to you verbatim. But, uh, yeah, they're telling me, yeah, I must comply. Or else what? And, I, I I refuse to do so. Right. Yeah. Or else what? What are I they going to do? I, I don't see why I should have to even go open a separate bank account just to have this damn thing put in. Wait, they want you to hold me for 60 freaking years, right? So hold on, just to clarify, do you already have a bank account or are you a, a bankless person? Well, I have a bank account, but I'm sure as hell not giving them my numbers. Oh, yeah. I see. So let me get you straight. They're not telling you to open up a separate bank account. They just want a bank account and correct. you're not willing to give it to them, which is good That's for you, correct. man. Good for you because we need more people standing up to this. Uh, things yeah. I can't say on air. Um, nonsense. Um, there's just not enough of us, unfortunately. Yeah, I told you I had a bitch right. I am the unhackable Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Major? Well, you guys were talking about the paper trail of money and whatnot. Yeah. Before FDIC and all that was invented, the independent banks, especially out west in the gold field, they could print up their own notes. That's right. Yeah. And it was quite handy. I mean, it's pretty hard to carry $10,000 in gold unless you got an extra mule, and then you're making yourself a slow target for a bad bunch of banditos. Mm-hmm. So. Paper was much easier to conceal, you know, and promissory notes and such. But, of course, there's always, you know, rotten apples in the barrel. And unless you got a bank that's, like, backed by a gold mine, you know, like, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Deadwood or not, but that's, yeah, I did. that's quite a tale there. It was a pretty entertaining show. Uh, I enjoyed that one. It's going to be tough, you know, to take uh, people like Major Payne, who he's He's going to die without ever getting that bank account. You know, he's he's going to pass away without having that bank account that the Federal Reserve wants him to, to have. But maybe they're sort of counting on that. You know, maybe they maybe they understand that. Look, this is going to take twenty years. This yeah. is going to take two generations. But eventually, they'll get them. This they'll get why, all of the young people. This is why they target young. You know, they they target uh, young people with. Oh, you have to use your fingerprint to. Mm-hmm. You know pay for stuff or a card or you know whatever because they want to force young people to get used to while they're still uh you know uh they effectively got to do what you say right as opposed to an adult you know adults can kind of get away with not doing what you know the government wants a little bit more easily kids can't they're they're uh you know it's uh they're dominated by you know adults and by schools and government sure and their whole world is digital you know the the generation z I mean, these are, in many cases, not even adults yet. Generation Z goes back, I think, to like 2010, maybe, I believe, somewhere around that range. So people born after 2010 or whatever, the next one, I think they're calling it Generation Alpha because, you know, they ran out of letters. So (laughs) going around the beginning. Uh, And so, like, these people in Generation so-called Z, they are essentially from, I believe, like 1997 through roughly 2011 something to that uh to that effect 2012 15 year uh window they had the internet you know from the very beginning they had the uh they, they were there when they were uh you know a little baby playing on the computer and as soon as tablets came out they got those right like they they may not know a lot about how the internet works but they've been part of that generation for their entire lives. Whereas you and I, Chris, you know, when we were born in the the 1980s, 
the internet was just in its genesis phase, right? Like there was maybe some universities that might have been experimenting with. There was no internet until the 90s. There were networks and there was, uh, you know, dial up, uh, you know, BBSs and things like that, but not, not quite the internet and there were there was CompuServe or a little bit before the internet and and AOL toward the late 80s yeah. I think CompuServe yeah. or whatever early, came early out. 90s early um, 90s but, but didn't know it wasn't the uh wasn't the federal government with the universities experimenting with uh with internet well, sort of things what like became in the early days the internet was a government network called uh, ARPANET mm-hmm. and um it was uh it, basically the government created another network for itself and then said, okay, you, what was the ARPANET, right? Uh, they said, okay, well, you guys can commercialize this now. Now, mm. all of a sudden, you could sell stuff on ARPANET, whereas before, you couldn't sell stuff on the ARPANET, mm-hmm. right? There were domain names, but you couldn't sell stuff on But wasn't ARPANET. that in the 80s? ARPANET? ARPANET, yeah, it was in the yeah, 80s, yeah. yeah. That's sure. kind of what I meant when I said, like, hardly anyone had access to it, but it uh, yeah, kind of existed. It was universities, yeah. uh, primarily, right. governments, um, yeah. I remember when I first got on the internet, it was probably like 1992 or three or something like that, or maybe 94, somewhere in that range. would have been 94. Yeah. yeah. I think I had, like, dial-up, and then you could turn that dial-up into a, a graphics-based thing through a special program or whatever, PPP or whatever it was, and it was... There was this whole there was this whole procedure to be able to see a, an image uh, on the internet back in the day. You're on the air on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Hello. Hey, you're on the air. What's your name? Yeah, um, uh, you were talking about cryptocurrency and a central bank digital currency. We were, and it just it just so happens that uh, I have written quite a few articles on this subject, and okay. I also uh, give presentations on it at tech conferences. Uh, you know, there aren't really many accredited experts on this right now, but I'm kind of in it pretty deep all right uh and I, i'll be happy to tell you uh some of the things about it that i've been able to figure out over the past few years well tell me uh first of all what are the what are the big banks proposing for what their involvement ought to be in this because we know the major idea the major concept of the central bank digital currency is that the federal reserve would have total awareness of everybody's transactions and likely 100%. that yeah likely that all welfare payments and government payments would be issued through it but we know the federal or the federal reserve bank is made up of these big banks and they're not just going to go disappear just because the federal reserve well you know. you're absolutely right on this there's a couple of points on this that that you're bringing up first of all the way that they will try to force people to use it is by making it impossible to avoid, by mm-hmm. giving you know uh, social security checks and things like that only through the CBDC, which means uh, you can't avoid it. Like the gentleman that called in earlier that didn't want to give his bank account, uh, well, tough, we're not giving you an option. You have to, mm-hmm. right? Um, but secondly, this presents an existential threat to the big banks, because the truth of the matter is we already have digital currency. Your debit yes. card uses digital currency, PayPal, whatever. And so all this really does is kind of create an end around on the big banks, right? The Federal Reserve will be your bank. They will be your bank account. And that's pretty dystopian if you really think about sure. it. Um, yeah. Now, one solution that they're trying to come up with, because certainly the big banks aren't going to take this line down, right. is that, believe it or not, they're actually trying to create two different versions of the CBDC. One will be a private, shall we say, internal CBDC mm-hmm. that will be used between the government, between the big banks, etc. And then there will be what they call a retail CBDC, which is the CBDC for you, me, and everybody else. Mm. And they will have two different functionalities to them. But the retail CBDC really is pretty dystopian. And I, I, I try to avoid conspiracy theory stuff, but this would require you to use a digital wallet approved by the federal government. Mm-hmm. All of your currency, the CBDC, will be tracked. Of course, they would be able to limit things like what you can buy, how much you can spend. They could take money out of it immediately. I mean, the federal government would have complete control over the wallet. And the real push for the CBDC, um, of course, is a response to cryptocurrency mm-hmm. because Bitcoin and the more advanced cryptocurrencies really do pose an existential threat to centralized fiat. Yeah. You know, the different fiat currencies around the world, uh, yeah, they're in real trouble once people start using crypto. And rest assured, 
<laughs> the federal government absolutely understands this. Sure, and that's so, why they're trying to head this off by coming out with the CBDC as soon as they possibly can. But uh, just to focus on your idea of the, or the, uh, not not that it's your idea, but the, the idea you're proposing here that you've heard about, this double-sided CBDC where there's the internal banker CBDC for internal yep. settlements, and then there's the retail one. What would the big banks be involved in when it comes to the retail CBDC? Would these wallets be administered by the big banks? Would Bank of America have its own CBDC, quote-unquote, wallet that's sort of branded as their bank? Or would this be straight with the Federal Reserve? Would accounts be held? This would be straight with the Federal Reserve, Okay, right? But you see, what you're touching on is a problem that ultimately has not been figured out. If and again, in a crazy dystopian world, you and I use the Federal Reserve as our bank account through this CBDC. What we're doing is taking all the liquidity out of the commercial banks. Mm-hmm. The CBDC would do exactly what cryptocurrency is doing, and that's render commercial banks unnecessary. Sydney is on the line in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Sydney. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. That What's was a very you? insightful call. I actually hope that guy calls back a you know, in the future, because yeah, sure. you can actually, in, you know, give insightful information. I wanted to talk about Bitcoin also. Sure. Um, he was optimistic that Bitcoin would win. I personally really like Bitcoin. I like alternative currencies, cryptocurrencies, alternative methods to transact gold, silver, other methods. Um, but I'm not optimistic like he is. Um, so I wanted to talk about a scenario because you guys have been talking about a lot with like CBDCs today and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, with Bitcoin, there's only going to be a certain number of tokens in total. When all the mining has found all the, you know, Bitcoins, I think it's around 18 million. Is that right? 21. 21 million, but there have been some that have been lost. I've heard estimates as high as like two to four million Bitcoins are like lost forever. They're in wallets that no one has access to. They've lost the keys. Yes, I exactly wanted Surprise to get to that. Here. Um, yeah, that aspect of it. So um, people anticipate it would end up being the reverse of the fiat system, whereas in the fiat system, they can print as much money as possible. Yeah. In the Bitcoin yep. and possibly also the precious metal realm, eventually you get to all of it and there's a limited supply. So I right. think that that's advantageous versus the fiat system. Sure. Because it gets you back to your principles with economics. So sound money, I think, is essential. I think a lot of the dysfunction that we see in the world is simply because money has become totally perverted. Sure. So, um, you know, we're, we're all working for it. It's fake. It's manipulated. And, you know, so I'm not optimistic at all. They'll pass laws to ban Bitcoin, ban activities related to Bitcoin. You know, I'm optimistic about the technology. I'm optimistic about freedom in the future. Um, so I want to get to Bitcoin about this loss. Uh, eventually, there'll be a certain number of tokens. Let's say there's widespread adoption. People are using it, you know, through, let's say, the Lightning Network or something else. So it's some fantasy world. And let's say that there are hackers that have their own store of Bitcoins. And as soon as they get Bitcoins, they destroy them. So they lose their passwords on purpose. So let's say, uh, you know, you, somebody does. Why the hell would they do that? Attack. That's going to be expensive. <laughs> well, it would push up the value of what's left over. And then so I want to get to is. But why would they that do that? Why, why would individuals because who have. have a stash of it. Because what? They already have a stash of it. But why wouldn't they want more? Like, why wouldn't they, why there's there's no economic incentive to destroy your own bitcoins? Uh, we'll take it off the market. You know, they could keep the password, but keep it completely off the market. So I mean, you're not going to increase. Example, you're not going to increase the value enough by destroying some of your own bitcoin to then have to make up the more, difference. Right to make up the difference. Like I don't I don't think that makes. And any even sense. if you uh, don't use the coins, like there's a lot of bitcoin that are just sitting today. They haven't been moved in years, if ever. Let's go to David in Georgia. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, David. Hey, um, quick thing. First of all, I was just listening to that FSN. And can we go ahead and get rid of this whole January 6th nonsense? We know the government was afraid of the people. We know the government is afraid of the people. Um, with, with that rant, rant on that little bit over, just that FSN news story caught my, caught my attention there. Oh, I didn't. I didn't um, hear what the the content of it was. And, and by the way, most of our listeners on radio stations probably have no idea. But that said, certainly the mainstream media has been blowing January sixth out of proportion for the last two years, and I suspect they didn't stop doing that today. Oh no, that was it. Was just on FSN that they were uh, giving the police that uh, helped quell the Capitol rioters 
medals of whatever. <laughs> Baloney. Anyway, <laughs> with that being said, um, I'm a bit worried about Bitcoin. Because, oh. uh, Bitcoin's like long-term future hmm. because of the fact that it's only got, you know, seven transactions per second capability yeah. of being done. And as the Bitcoin halvening keeps happening and less and less Bitcoin are being created, there is less and less incentive to continue to mine it, and the hash rate will go down, making it easier eventually to attack and mm. hit 1% or take over. Um, this, this is solved – a lot of the, a lot of it is solved by Monero's tail, admission, uh, tail emission because there's 430 new Monero created per day. Mm-hmm. Which would technically make it slightly inflationary, but yeah. it's asymptotically zero. And what does that mean? As um, it means it approaches zero. So, like, uh, as it as it continues to inflate ever so slightly, it closer and closer approaches zero. So right now it's like zero point nine percent, and in like a couple of decades it'll be zero point five percent. And even gold inflation is like one percent. Oh, I see um, what you're saying. So you're saying that. When a Monero block is mined, which again, Monero, for listeners that don't know, is a Bitcoin competitor. It is the privacy, it's sort of the world's premier uh, privacy coin. So you can't technically verify that there's 400 of them coming out or 430 of them every, what would you say, was every minute? When are the blocks on Monero? Uh, the blocks are two minutes, two minutes. and it's 0.6 Monero per block. So it's like 430 per day. Oh, per day. Okay, I got you. Thank you. So 430 per day. And what you're saying is the number 430 is not going to go down over time. But the percentage of what that represents of the total supply of Monero obviously is going to get smaller over time. Correct. Because when it's 18 million like it is now, uh, another 430 is whatever percent of 18 million. But yep. then when the supply in 20 years is 25 million, well, 430 is a smaller percentage of 25 million than it is of 18 Got million it. now. Okay. That and makes so sense. It, it asymptotically approaches zero. Well, San, but, so your uh, prediction was that Bitcoin itself uh, is going to have a tough time given that at roughly every three to four years, Bitcoin's mining reward cuts in half. So right now it's, I believe, 6.25 Bitcoin per roughly every 10 minutes when a, a block is mined onto the blockchain. And for listeners that don't know, the blockchain is the public ledger with Bitcoin that uh, has every transaction on it from the very beginning of uh, Bitcoin back in 2009. And uh, the blocks are the transactions that have happened. Uh, that's that's them being permanently added to that, uh, that, that ledger. And so every time a block is mined onto the blockchain, those transactions become permanent, they're there forever, and then the miners get paid this mining reward, which is going to get cut in half, I believe, sometime next year, uh, meaning 2024, isn't that right? That's correct. Like, April of 2024 is when they're predicting it. Right, so it'll go to 3.125 Bitcoin instead of 6.25, or whatever it is. And uh, and so that will mean fewer Bitcoin come out. But I guess the prediction would be that, well, Bitcoin will likely be worth more at the time. So therefore, incentive will still be present uh, for miners to well, come into the picture. I mean, I, doesn't it readjust anyway automatically? If The difficulty uh, does it does readjust. That's right. True. So if, if there's fewer miners. Well, what he was saying, though, Chris, is that even though... The, <laughs> The mining difficulty will readjust, meaning that if there are fewer miners, it becomes easier to find the Bitcoin block at that point. Yeah. Um, and if there are more miners, it becomes harder to find the Bitcoin block. However, what he's saying, what David's saying is, if the total amount of mining power goes down over time, then that makes the network easier to attack. Is that right, David? Yep. And another thing is, yeah, okay. is the, fee, the fee marketplace that they want really hasn't shown up because when you have to pay $100 to get a Starbucks coffee for the transaction fee, like back in 2017, yeah. it's kind of a failed failed as a currency. Seven transactions per second and really high transactions. Yeah, well, that was what they intended to do. That's why uh, MasterCard uh, invested in the digital currency group that invested in Blockstream and AXA, a major international banking institution, invested in Blockstream years ago. So they then started paying the Bitcoin, uh, the key Bitcoin programmers to essentially cripple Bitcoin and stop it from being able to do what, like you said, more than seven transactions per second. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. 
You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.